Hi, everybody. Welcome to episode 92 of Radio 815, the podcast dedicated to examining the works of writer-director J.J. Abrams and his extended Bad Robot universe. I'm your co-host, Matt Crandall, here as always with Marcelo Inestroza as we continue our rewatch of Fringe Season 2. Today we are talking about episodes 6 and 7 of the second season of Fringe. The first episode up is entitled Earthling, which aired November 5th, 2009, Written by Jeff Flaming and J.H. Wyman, directed by John Cassar. Marcelo, have you ever drawn reindeer genitalia on decorations with ash from a log that you poked in the fire? No, I was never that type of kid. Well, uh, yeah, I was never that type of kid who liked, you know, inappropriate humor when I was a kid. So that wasn't me. I was a, I was the kid watching the John Hughes Home Alone, you know, in the in the living room of my house while stringing popcorn. I was that type of kid. But I love the opening to this to this episode because we see a guy who is primarily a businessman looking to surprise his wife for their anniversary. And all of a sudden, when he's on the phone talking to his wife, his TV turns on. He moves over to turn the TV off. And then a couple minutes later, he starts walking about his house. And all of a sudden, lights go off in a specific hallway in his house. So he walks over, he turns them off. And he walks over to a couch, right? And then the hallway behind him is lit, but then it turns off. And then all of a sudden, he turns halfway around, and we see this glimmer of a human being, like this invisible man, like this shimmer. And then the shimmer just comes towards him, and then it cuts to his wife showing up. And then, you know, his wife is obviously surprised that her husband is there, but he his wife starts talking to him and gets nothing from him. And he's just sitting in a chair like he's drunk or something. You know, he looks like a, a porcelain doll or something. And his wife touches him and he turns into ash and his head falls off of his body. And it just it, it just turns to dust on the floor. The opening of this episode was amazing because we don't often talk about the special effects on fringe but the physical work done on this opening sequence i thought was great i really loved it yeah the opening of this episode is my favorite part of the episode and i thought it was the most interesting and those effects when the guy does turn into this pile of dirt as as he's disintegrating were really well done and sometimes on fringe we can get effects that are amazing and sometimes they're like middle of the road and this was definitely one of the better effects that they have done I also liked that when this started, there was an episode last season that started with a guy on the phone pretending not to be around for his girlfriend, but it was because he was cheating on her with somebody who ended up being a murderous animal kind of lady. But so I liked that this was almost like a callback at first that I was like, what is this guy doing? Then it was like, no, he's actually a good husband who's lying to do a nice thing. And then he gets killed in such a horrendous way that it was like, oh, nice guys finish last in this universe. So I like that that was that was there. And seeing this weird shimmer walking around was cool because it adds a lot of intrigue to make us wonder what's going on. And the fact that Walter said, normally I would think this was some sort of spontaneous combustion or something, but the chair is fine. There's nothing there. So it's not like he heated up because his environment is the same so and the thing that tries to draw us in and make us intrigued in the episode is that Broyles says I have seen this before this is actually something I have looked into a few years ago we need to find out if these people have been to a hospital recently we need to start figuring out because this is actually an old case of mine. And as the episode goes on, we find out it was the case that broke Philip Broyles' marriage. 
because he was so invested in this case. I think one of the lines is he says he was trying to do a good job to protect his family and instead he lost them because he got too wrapped up. So that's how they try and get us invested into this what is mostly a standalone mystery of the week type episode is through the Broyles human connection. And as much as I appreciated that, I found most of this episode to be super boring. So I'm not going to lie. I wasn't that invested and I didn't actually care, which is a shame because the, uh, the beginning is really well done and creepy. But then as we start investigating the hospital connection and these Russians and we've learned that this is all some sort of outer space caused Fantastic Four-like event, I just was like, okay, Fringe. Last week, our second episode was a dud. And this is the start of November sweeps and you're giving me another dud? I was like, come on, I wanted more. And I especially wanted more because this episode was directed by John Kassar, who directed the bulk of the episodes of 24 on Fox. He did over 60 episodes of 24 and the revival and the movies. He currently is one of the key directors on the Orville. John Kassar is awesome. He's a Canadian guy. He loves the Maple Leafs like I do. I met him at TIFF. He was one of the nicest guys I've talked to. He actually was there for a movie called Forsaken with Kiefer Sutherland. And when you met him, he would give you a little trading card that had a still from his movie and it said John Kassar, director, and and he would sign the card for you. And it was like this awesome thing like, yeah, if you make a movie, walk around with cards to hand out to people if they recognize you. I think that's fucking awesome. So I was super excited when I saw his name as the director of this episode. And then outside of that opening, the rest does play out kind of like a procedural episode of 24 because we start interviewing like these CIA people and all this stuff. But I just didn't care that much. Marcelo, were you super into this one? Yeah, unlike you, I was really super into it. And the reason why I was super into it was the reason that you weren't. Because I really like the fact that in this episode, Broyles got a moment to shine and we got to know a little bit more about Broyles. And I really like that this centered around an old case that Broyles previously investigated before Fringe Division really took off. I really like the fact that this episode had a similar tint to an X-Files episode that came out years ago about an astronaut going into space and then bringing something back into space. But I also like this episode because I said before on the show that I wanted a specific kind of Fringe villain. I wanted someone to do something awful, not because they could, but because they needed to. So I really connected with this gentleman who works at the hospital that the fringe team is investigating in, and he's only working there so he can get his brother out of the hospital, a.k.a. the cosmonaut, who brought back this glimmer. He has basically collected large amounts of electrical equipment and batteries in a hotel room. So when he goes and kidnaps his brother, he brings him back to the hospital and he physically tries to electrocute his brother in efforts to bring out the glimmer. So I really loved that whole sequence. I, I really, really loved because you could see the love on the brother's face and how frustrated he was getting. And the other thing that I really liked is that when he spoke to Broyles and he asked him to solve the equation. I love that Walter has to goes goes to his house and builds out the physical equation with Tinker Toys. And then Walter figures out because Walter at first thinks that he can solve the equation to separate the astronaut from the glimmer. But after he tries to pull it apart, he's like, "Oh shit. 
I can't separate it. So the astronaut and the glimmer are one person. And if you kill one of them, you kill the other one. So I I thought that was a really catch-22 situation. And I love the final sequence when we see uh, the astronaut's brother on the phone and he, he gets the bad news from Broyles that, you know, his brother can't be separated from the glimmer or the shadow. And he, and you know, the camera pushes in and all of a sudden he starts to fall apart. So I was like, oh my God, it's so great. So great. Also, I like the, the really, really somber, sad moment when Broyles goes to his old house and he has a conversation with his wife and he says, you know, that case I was working on four years ago, I just wanted to let you know that I solved it. And his wife goes, I'm happy for you. You know, but just a second before that, this douchebag of a guy just comes into frame, says, hi, Broyles. I don't even remember what his name is. This is the guy that uh, Broyles, his wife, remarried. Right. So you so you see the cost of the job that Broyles does and that Olivia does. And you see how affecting it is on their lives. So I th for, for me that this whole storyline with Broyles really, really worked. And the last thing that I like quite a bit, when Broyles was, you know, walking away from his old house, there was this guy from like the CIA or wherever, right? And for whatever reason, this guy reminded me of Deep Throat from, from the X-Files. So the guy's talking and he says, I just want to make it clear that none of this is to be reported, right? And he's like, okay, I understand. I wasn't going to put it on the records anyway because I was getting a hard time from the CIA or whoever. The guy says... Oh, by the way, the cosmonaut came back to life. And then, you know, Bros is like, what the hell did you do with it? And then the camera just tilts up to space and you're like, they sent the fucker back to space because they because they couldn't do anything with it. So I really, really like it. Like like this story. I thought this story was excellent, which is quite odd because you and I are normally pretty much on the same wavelength. But this this week, we're clearly not. I like Broyles, but I don't necessarily know that I needed this backstory more than I would have enjoyed a fun episode of Olivia and Peter having banter and doing cool shit, which I felt like Olivia and Peter were barely in this thing because we're, we're running with the B team for most of it. And I think that just coming off of the momentum of momentum deferred last week we talked about, and then we had like a filler episode. I just needed, I needed a little bit more charisma in this story this is an interesting episode because it is unlike a lot of the other episodes of this season because yes we're letting Broyles run the show it's a lot of Walter and Broyles doing stuff but that to me isn't my favorite dynamic of Fringe so I feel like that might be the thing that brought it down a notch as you mentioned it does have shades of X-Files big time and a lot of similarities which is cool and I don't mind but this connection of like these brothers and the brother watching over the brother. I just met these guys five minutes ago. I don't give a shit. So that's just how, how it was for me. And I wish I could have liked it more, but it just felt like it was fine, but nothing, nothing special. That brings us basically to the next episode, episode seven of human action, which again, for the most part is kind of a standalone story not tied to the greater mystery the stinger of the episode does make it seem a little bit more important than it is but marcello 
are you going to trust getting into a car and riding around with the Joker, who's also a Jedi? You just said that the last episode didn't have enough for you to get invested in, and the last episode for you was pretty much, I don't give a shit. For me, this is what this episode was. Because throughout the whole episode, I was like, all I want to do is I want to fucking hit that kid. Does, does he know how, how much of an irresponsible little son of a bitch he's being right now? I, you know, I was a teenager once, guys. I, I wasn't born an adult and I haven't been an asshole my entire life. I, I, I was a teenager once, but I was so over this kid's behavior and I was so... This episode really didn't work for me at all. The only parts that I really, really enjoyed about this episode was finding out that Massive Dynamic was behind the way that this kid got these pills to make him into a Jedi. And I really liked the, you know, you know, the opening sequence with these two used car salesmen who you think have kidnapped this kid. But after a minute, the, you know, one of the cops that has a, a gun on these used car salesmen starts walking back and falls off of one of the parking uh, floors. I thought that was an amazing shot. And when the kid goes to a convenience store and he and he runs into a ball guy who's giving him a hard time, he, he forces the ball guy to put hot coffee on top of his head. I thought that was cool. But again, I don't care about the writers of this episode didn't do enough to make me care about this kid. And, you know, and, and, and I, I, I understand that we only have like 43 minutes, but they could have done, just give me something to care. I don't know if I cared at the time that this aired. And I also don't know if it's just the baggage of the guy who plays the kid, Cameron Monaghan, played a version of the Joker on Gotham. And he is Cal Kestis, the Jedi in Jedi Fallen Order, the video game. So... The second that it's him as this kid, that opening scene where the guy walks off the parking garage, which is awesome, and then those people shoot themselves and their partner, I know watching this that this kid is the bad news because this is the kid who played a freaking version of Joker on Gotham. So, like, of course this kid is evil. I, I know right away, like, this is the bad kid. So the moment where we have, like, the turn of them realizing it's a bad kid and not that he's been kidnapped, doesn't play. But what I like is that in those moments where they're trying to track down this kid and they think that he's been kidnapped, Peter and Olivia have a lot to do. They have a lot of scenes. And then when Peter gets taken hostage, the back half of this episode is him bantering with this kid who has a lot of parental issues. And he's hanging out with a guy who has a lot of parental issues. So I like that we can get a lot of exposition, but also some character beats in the way that Peter is like, I get it, dude. Like, bad dads, I'm all over it. I understand, but you don't have to do what you're doing. This is stupid. That's the stuff that really made the episode pop and work for me. I don't think that I liked the episode half as much as I did until that that final moment. So there's a lot of times where they're looking in and they're trying to figure out, if this is the kid who's doing this, how could this be? A massive dynamic and his quote-unquote dad are like, we don't know. Like, this guy works in the aerospace division. Maybe the kid accidentally took these pills. And I'm like, okay, massive dynamic, get your security and shit together. But then at the end, we find out Nina flat-out fucking lied. That scientist flat-out fucking lied. This was their experiment and there are a ton of versions of this kid, Tyler. 
it is a whole program where they got like 15 Tylers and they're doing fucked up shit to all of the Tylers and all the Tylers had a different surrogate and they've been placed under the care of different scientists at Massive Dynamic to monitor their progress. And when we found that out and that this is flashing back to shades of William Bell and Cortexafan and Olive, I just thought, oh, this is a much more interesting episode in hindsight than it feels when you're watching it. So the fact that that stinger at the end shows us I did hate the way that Nina narrates her message to William Bell. It felt like Carrie Bradshaw in front of a computer in an episode of Sex in the City, or I kept waiting her to be like, William, just so you know, I learned a lesson today. And just like that, Tyler is telekinetic powers have been activated. So I thought that was like a really weird device that Nina Sharp, a grown woman, is narrating her message while she's typing it. I just hated that. But I liked what the message was. And we find out that she doesn't know if Bell's getting any of these messages. This whole thing with Tyler has been by design. They've been trying to unlock this power in any number of these test subjects. And finally, they have one that it unlocked in. And so they have to like figure out what the significance of that is in relation to everything else we know going on. So I think that that stinger of the episode made me enjoy the annoying stuff earlier much more. To your point where we find out that Massive Dynamic is behind, you know, you know, is making clones of this kid to find out if they can possibly send all these kids into the other universe to do God knows what. I really began to wonder, like, do you think William Bell is aware of what Nina is doing in his stead? Do you think William Bell is ordering all this shit to happen from his unknown location? I think that that's why we see her typing that message because she just says the Tyler's program worked. We got one who can do the thing we wanted them to be able to do. So obviously Bell had to know what that means and what they have been trying to unlock. Yeah, but look, I mean, a couple episodes ago, we saw Olivia lay everything at Bell's feet, right? And Bell, from his own admission, he says, I didn't want to do things the way i did them right so that make that makes me think that william bell is full of shit that makes me think that he'll do whatever he needs to do to save us from quote-unquote people that we haven't even met yet so i think that william bell on the surface he says oh i'm a nice guy i'm only doing this because certain things have happened this is not me but william bell will turn halfway around and do something very very unscrupulous to an individual because of the greater good. So that really pissed me off and really made me upset. The other thing that I really, really liked was the device that Walter makes to supposedly block out the, this kid's powers. He makes these headphones that uh, radiate this noise uh, that supposedly blocks out the kid's powers. And when the FBI team who want to apprehend this kid, put them on. You hear this continuous wave uh, notion. And I really like that throughout the sequence when they use these headphones, that's all you hear. You don't really hear anything else until uh, Olivia gets knocked over and her headphones get knocked off of her head. So I really liked that aspect of this episode. But in large part, if it wasn't for finding out Massive Dynamics' alleged inappropriate behavior... And I really loved the small moment when Nina really comforted Walter. And he says, and she says, he, she basically says, I know you're having a hard time right now, but we need you to help us 
deal with this right now. So I really liked that tiny, tiny moment. I also liked Walter going into Macedonic for the first time. And that really brought back the quote from the pilot when Peter says, are you talking about that my father shared a lab with William Bell, the man who made the most profitable, profitable tech company in the world? Oh, that's great. One person becomes a millionaire and the other guy becomes a, you know, becomes a loon. So I really liked Walter seeing the realization of his dream, even if he wasn't included in it. Yeah, that was one of the best scenes character wise was when they go to the massive dynamic and they get off the elevator and Walter is just like, oh, my God, look at this. Did she say 73 labs? And they're like, yeah, this place is amazing. And it's fun seeing his wonder and like awe at all that Belly had built slowly turn where he's like, oh, he's accomplished so much and I've done jack shit. I'm locked up and working for the feds. And it's such a sad moment where like he realized that if different things had happened in the past, this all could have been his. And it's like tragic in a way, but as we learn more about bell by the end, and we know that even though he seems like a nice guy and we got nice Leonard Nimoy to play him, he's still experimenting on kids, even though he told us that that was not something that they still did. So I like that that moment turns from like joy, wonder to sadness. But by the end, we know Walter wouldn't go to these lengths now, Walter now, that Bell has gone to. We hope. It doesn't help that Walter makes these headphones and they end up not working at all, which kind of shows like, I love, he gives like a speech. He's like, if you take these, don't take these off. If you do, you might die a gruesome and horrible death. Thanks a lot. Have a nice day. And then they put the headphones on. That was an interesting part of the episode because then, you know, we're focusing on a different part of the soundtrack. We're not getting the ambient noise. We're not getting the dialogue. It's just this weird noise in these headphones. But then I like the kids just like, Peter, take those dumb things off. They don't work, idiot. So I thought that that was, that was kind of cool because it was stylistically something that Fringe doesn't do a lot where, you know, Walter's device and we were put like right into those headphones as they were wearing them. It was just a shame they didn't actually work as they were supposed to because uh, Simpsons Pez pill popping kid was able to override the headphones throughout this main story. This was a story of the week, but the moments I like the best are like the character moments where we find more about Nina and Belle at the end. We find out more about Walter and the path not taken in the middle. And also just that whole time, like I said, Peter and the kid have like this back and forth where like a lot of stuff about Peter's past kind of comes out in the way he's treating this kid who is an annoying pain in the ass, but he's doing it because he thinks that his mother has abandoned him and his father has lied to him and all this stuff that has very light shades of parallel to, to Peter's past. So I thought that was really interesting as much as the kid was annoying and we knew he was evil right from the beginning. I still liked the way that this played out and having Peter put in jeopardy, even though we know Peter Bishop is not going to die in episode seven of season two. It still added a little bit more stakes to the mystery of the week to put one of our main guys. He could have been in harm's way or something bad could have happened and make him part of the main action rather than just them getting to crime scenes too late. So I thought that was the strengths of this episode. And as much as I liked it, I would say overall, these two are probably ranking low on my list of episodes we've watched so far this season but I did prefer of human action over earthling in this particular batch. Yeah. I mean, 
Uh, for for me, for me, Earthling worked way more than uh, human action did. You know, you know, I didn't read between the lines like you did uh, with this second episode. But you know, I thought I thought this week was you know similar to last week. It was a hit and a miss. Last week I said that the episodes uh, should have been reversed, and I still think that. I still think that the second episode of this week should have been first. And then we should have had Earthling last. Hear, hearing what you thought about the episode, I don't, I don't think that would have helped uh, at all. If it, you know, you know, if you were if you were working out these episodes. Yeah, I don't know. It would have made a big difference. I think again, I feel like they are ramping up to stuff that they just are trying to put on the back burner a little bit to fill out a 22 episode season, and it's probably at the mandate of Fox, who wants an X Files like show where you can just tune in. And watch a cool mystery of the week and get a little bit of those character moments. And these two episodes both fill that to a T. And I'm hoping that the episodes we talk about next week, knowing that episode 8 August aired during the heat of November sweeps for the networks. I'm really hoping we get some sort of mythology filled episode. And I know that we might have some observer action coming up that would hopefully fulfill that and make these kind of lower key episodes not feel like we're just pushing off the good stuff. So hopefully next week when we talk about episodes eight and nine, they can get us back in there and excited about the overall mystery. Cause both of these episodes kind of put it on the back burner for easily accessible. Anybody could have watched them and enjoyed them or, or anybody could have watched them and not particularly enjoyed them as the case may have been. I think that's the main problem when you have a TV, a TV show that is structured off of the 23 episode model, there are going to be episodes that are filler episodes. And I think as much as I liked one episode this week, I think that these episodes qualify as filler episodes because they, they didn't have much. Now I know that sounds funny, after talking about, uh, you know, how much I loved Earthling, Earthling, but they didn't have much. I the, the reason why I loved Earthling so much is because it harkened back to an X-Files episode. But if it didn't do that, I, I, I probably would have been right where you are as far as that episode is concerned. And I think part of it is that watching these episodes now in 2022, when we live in the streaming age where seasons of shows can range from five to 13 episodes, but it's very rare that a show has 22 full episodes a season anymore. Even some of the big network dramas only do 13 to 17 episodes. So the way that we receive content now is a little bit different where if stranger things season four had been 22 episodes, like we would be waiting a long time for the good action. But when a show is only nine episodes, they're able to give you more of the goods in a seemingly faster way. So I think that part of it is just that TV watching has changed so much where if we have four filler episodes in a season of TV now, that would be half of the season wasted on filler, which would be very jarring. But four out of 22 is only a very small fraction of the episodes. So I think that part of it is just knowing that this show is from a time where TV watching and viewing habits were completely different than they are now. And if they were to make Fringe now, I would be willing to bet it would be eight episode seasons on like a streamer. We wouldn't feel the need to do 10 or 13. We would just distill it down to our core story and 
every episode would end with the you're going to run out of the room screaming cliffhanger and it would be incredible. But I'm not saying that they should reboot Fringe or redo Fringe, but I think that the time and place of when this was on definitely influences the way we watch it now. Also, with the way that the TV landscape is now, as a as a creative individual, as a writer, sorry guys, I'm going to jump on my soapbox for a little bit. With TV shows, with TV episodes being structured the way that they are, as a writer, if you know that you have only six episodes, 13 episodes, 10 episodes, you have no time to jack around. With 23 uh, episode seasons, you have time to sink into your universe and sink into your characters. With 10 episodes or 13 episodes, you don't have time for that. You got to go. And I also think that that allows the storytellers who are crafting these episodes that we love so much time to really get to the kind of story that they want to build without having to do an episode to bring in other people. I think it's a, a double-sided sword. I mean, I grew up with, uh, you know, 23 episode seasons. So I like that. I have a nostalgia point for that. But I much I much rather prefer the 10 episode model or the 13 episode model. When it comes to six episodes and five episode seasons, I mean, get that in my face. That's not a season compared to me. But um, yeah, I, I do think that the landscape is completely different. And I do think that one day we're going to see Fringe again. I don't know if we're going to see Peter, you know, Walter and Olivia again, but I think that one day Fringe is going to come back. What form that is, I have no idea. What network, I have no idea. But I definitely think that before I die, somebody is going to go back to Boston and sh- and, and turn on the lights on the lab again. And on that note, if you think Fringe is coming back, let us know how you think they should reboot or relaunch or requel it. Hit us up. You can reach out to us on Twitter at JJUniverse815 or use the hashtag Radio815. If you guys send us any comments, suggestions, we will read them on the show. We appreciate you tuning in. Please let people know. Like, follow, subscribe, comment, rate. Do all of that. Every little bit helps. We're glad you're here and along for this fringe ride. If you have any concerns you want to reach out to me, I am on Twitter at Matt Crandall. Marcelo, Twitter is a good spot to talk to you. What is your handle on there? I'm at CreekFanatic88. So that'll do it for another episode of Radio 815. Thanks very much for listening. And until next week, Radio 815 is over and out. Radio 815 is a Balloonhead Productions presentation in association with Killer Newt Productions.